This podcast is recorded live during my weekly Zoom virtual healing circles. Be sure to stick around to the end of the episode to learn more about how you can join me for these live virtual events. Welcome to the Virtual Healing Circle with me, Jen Fable of LiveLifeUnbroken.com. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the problem with seeking reassurance. So often we think our job is to reassure the people in our life and to find the right people to reassure us. And as long as we are surrounded by the right people, all will be well. Problem is, as long as reassurance is the goal, it kind of keeps us in a cycle of powerlessness. And so tonight my job is to talk to you about why seeking reassurance in partnerships, in friendships, and relationships is a trap. So why is this important? This is important because looking for approval outside of yourself just sets you up for a cycle of codependency, and it means that you'll never be free of anxiety. This is important because when you put your trust in the perspective of other people, It automatically breaks the trust you have with yourself, which means seeking reassurance constantly means you're constantly betraying yourself. And this is important because seeking reassurance keeps you a victim. It keeps you the victim of the whims and opinions of other people, which means you never actually get to know who you are or how you want to show up in the world. And then you're going to feel unseen, unheard, and unknown. So if we're going to talk about reassurance, let's talk about what it actually is. So what is reassurance? Reassurance is the act of removing someone else's doubts or fears. It's about making someone else feel less afraid, less upset, or less doubtful. It's the act of alleviating the worries of another. And when we seek reassurance, it is us seeking someone else to alleviate our fear, to alleviate our doubt, to alleviate our worries. So we're asking someone to take responsibility for what we feel so that they can heal it for us. Now, from a boundary perspective, this is a big problem. And we're just going to do a little recap. So, of course, you have your space. So imagine that like a big pink circle. And in your space, you have your wants, you have your needs, you have your desires, and you have your emotions. And this all belongs to you. Anything in your space, you have 100% control over. Other people have their space. Imagine it like a great big blue circle. And in their space, they have their wants, their needs, their desires, and their emotions. And anything that is in their space is out of your realm of control. You have no say in someone else's wants and needs. You have no say in someone else's desires. And you have no power over someone else's emotions. So anything that is in someone else's space is unaccessible to you and out of your realm of control. So the problem with reassurance is that in order to make someone else responsible for your emotions, you have two options. You either need to pull their energy into your space, which means you're going to feel temporarily crowded and eventually that's going to wear thin, and they're going to feel like they don't have any choice. It doesn't feel good to feel sucked into someone else's energy. Or you take your emotions and you push them outside of your circle into someone else's, which means now you move them into a place that is out of your realm of control. You've given away something that is yours and you've given it to someone who cannot fix it for you because it's yours. So now this other person has your emotions kicking around their space and they are powerless to change that. 
So what does reassurance look like? Reassurance looks like acting from a place of neediness or insecurity. It looks like asking the same question over and over again to a friend or a loved one, or asking the same question to different people. Reassurance is one of the reasons I set a boundary with myself of, I only give input and advice to those who have given me permission and who have shown they are open to my input. If there is someone in my life who keeps asking me the same question over and over and over again, they're not looking for my help, they're not looking for my opinion, they're looking for reassurance. And the second I allow myself to reassure someone over and over again, I become a part of the cycle that keeps them stuck. And so I have to choose my love for this person over my hero complex. While it feels really good to step in and help someone, it reaffirms that they are powerless and can't do it themselves, and it gets you high off someone else's insecurity. Kinda icky karma. Reassurance looks like searching excessively on the internet or in books over and over again. What does this mean? What does this mean? What do I do? If you find yourself getting caught down the, you know, Dr. Google web universe and you can't get yourself out and you keep asking the same questions over and over again, you're not looking for answers anymore. You're looking for reassurance. You're looking to alleviate anxiety. Reassurance looks like checking things over and over again. It looks like looking to your partner or your friends or your kids to put your mind at ease about the relationship worry that you have. If you're concerned that something's wrong in the relationship and you ask once, okay, and you ask twice and ask three times and ask constantly, are we okay? Are you mad at me? That's when it starts to become a problem. And reassurance looks like expecting others to soothe you. Your emotions come with some feels. Some of them are wonderful, some of them are kind of icky, and every emotion is wonderful because it is your unconscious mind, your intuitive, instinctual self communicating with you. Because, of course, it predates language, so it can't talk in words. It has to talk in sensations and feelings. When you make someone else responsible for the communication from your soul, it has a pretty nasty side effect. So why is it a problem? It's a problem because seeking reassurance is a strategy and it helps you alleviate anxiety, but paradoxically, it sets you up for a cycle of constant and worsening anxiety. This is a problem because putting the burden of your sense of ease on another person keeps you the victim and keeps them feeling burdened. Because remember, it's your emotions. They can't actually do anything about it. And this is a problem because in a relationship of any kind, whether it's a romantic relationship, friendship between a parent and child, doesn't matter. If you're constantly seeking reassurance, it breeds mistrust. It breeds contempt and it breeds resentment in the other person. So if you find that every relationship you get into, it starts off great and eventually it ends up in the same place where they're treating you like garbage check to see how much of that dynamic you're bringing into the equation. When we are needy, when we are seeking reassurance, we breed mistrust, contempt, and resentment in the other person. So this is how the cycle works. You feel anxiety about something. You feel concern. You feel doubt. You feel fear. And you look to someone else for reassurance. And they reassure you. And in doing so, your anxiety goes down, but it's now reinforced it. Because now the only way you know how to get assistance from someone else, to get love from someone else, 
is to fall apart and have them fix it for you. Once your anxiety is gone and you've had this behavior reinforced, now you get to deal with the adverse impact it has on yourself and on others. It is not attractive to be needy. It is not fun for the other person to constantly have to alleviate your anxiety. Your anxiety is yours. It is in your circle. That means that the only one who has power to change it is you. And while it is totally okay once in a while to look outside of yourself for some reassurance, if this is the only strategy you know for getting love and attention, then chances are anxiety is a very close friend of yours. I love this quote by Mark Manson, Neediness occurs when you place a higher priority on what others think of you than what you think of yourself. So what's the big deal about being needy? Like, isn't that okay? Isn't the whole point of being in relationships to need each other? What's the problem? The problem is, is that when you are needy, you will see any difference in values or desires between you and the other person as meaning that there's something wrong with them. And rather than learning how to accept the difference, rather than learning how to use your voice, rather than learning who you are and what you want, you'll try to eliminate the problem by controlling your partner. When we are needy, we tend to come across as very controlling to the people in our lives. I need this because otherwise I'm anxious. I need this because otherwise I'm scared. I need this because of this. It chokes the life out of a relationship because it doesn't leave space for the other person. When we are needy, we tend to have really terrible boundaries because our main fear is losing the partner, losing the relationship, losing the friendship, losing the child. And so all of our behavior is aimed at preventing a breakup, at preventing a separation, rather than actually showing up and addressing whatever problematic behavior exists. When we are needy, we tend to believe that pretty much everything is because of the other person. It doesn't really occur to us that other people might have a life of their own. In fact, when we are needy, believing that someone else has a life of their own and doesn't need us is actually a threat. Because if the other person doesn't need us, we don't trust that they will choose us because they want us. And this was a really interesting one for me to heal. There was a very big part of my journey that was about figuring out that neediness and love are not the same thing. And I didn't know that. I remember talking to my coach and being like, well, if I don't need the other person, why would I bother? If they don't need me, why would they bother? Why deal with all the messiness of a relationship unless I need it because without them I'll feel like I'm dying? And when I put that burden on my partner, the relationship will eventually be crushed under the weights. So learning how to show up authentically means healing neediness. And there's a wonderful book. It's by an author named Jack Ito, I-T-O. And I believe it's called Overcome Neediness to Get the Love You Want or something along those lines. If you look up Jack Ito and Neediness, you'll find a lot of good resources. And when I first got that book, I'm like, I don't think I'm that needy. And like two paragraphs in, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm exceptionally needy. Um, And it's not attractive. And it's not empowering. And it is not fun to be with. And it's not fun to live for ourselves. When we are needy, we never really feel completely at ease. Even in the midst of the most loving relationship, we'll feel hyper alert to any kind of danger, any sign of rejection, which means we can never actually trust that the person wants to be with us 
or that we can survive the loss of the relationship when it inevitably ends. All relationships inevitably end, either through breakup, either through moving away, either through one person dying or the other person dying. But at some point, all relationships have to end and we have to know that we're okay. When we are needy, we have put our sense of peace and our sense of self into the hands of another, which means we have no choice but to feel like a victim. So what are some better options? Option number one is build a safety map for yourself. A safety map is your blueprint of how you want to show up in the world and what safe means for you. And we'll talk a little bit more about safety in a moment. A really great option is to heal your attachment style. Neediness often has roots in an attachment style of anxious attachment. And attachment is something I go into, I think, in episode 12 or 13 of the podcast. Uh, your attachment style is basically your definition of love, what you learned relationships to be based on your experience with your caregivers. And when we have an anxious attachment style, we tend to have a lot of thoughts going on in our head that lead us down the path of neediness. So if you find yourself overly needy, healing your attachment style is a really great first step. If you want to learn more about attachment style, I highly recommend Wired for Love, which is a book by Stan Tatkin. Frankly, any resource from Stan Tatkin is wonderful for anyone who seeks to heal their attachment style and become more secure in relationships. A great option is learning how to self-soothe. Self-soothing is about knowing how to bring myself out of an anxious state without having to rely on someone else. What soothes my heart? When I'm having a rough day, what can I do to bring myself some peace, to light up my soul? Often we're so busy just finding someone to fix it for us, to soothe our soul for us, that we don't know how to do it ourselves. We put that burden on someone else, and that's a problem. A really great option is learning to offer empathy without giving advice or trying to fix it. Super challenge for those type A's in the group who like to control stuff, holla. When someone's looking for support, offering empathy without solutions, offering empathy without giving advice or trying to fix it, just being present with someone else's pain is really beautiful process that helps you witness their journey without stepping in and fixing it, because it's out of your realm of control anyways. And a really great option is learning how to practice receiving empathy when it's being offered without the expectation of the other person soothing you or fixing it for you. Because oftentimes we look to someone else to help us, and when they don't do it the way we wanted them to, uh, then clearly they're the problem and we're totally fine. And so that just sets us up for a cycle. So what does it mean to be safe? Reassurance is what we seek when we're not feeling safe in our own life. So what does safety look like? So safety isn't about, you know, locks on the doors or anything like that. What safety is from an emotional standpoint is knowing your own wants, needs, and desires. Knowing yourself. You cannot feel safe if you have no idea who you are. So you have to know what do you want? What do you need? What do you desire? Safety looks like knowing that it's okay to give voice to your wants and needs and desires. You're not with people who are mind readers. If you need something, if you're seeking reassurance because you need something, ask for what you need. Hey, I'm having a bit of a feely day. I would really love a hug right now. That is you using your voice to get your needs met versus in reassurance, we stay quiet and expect the other person to figure it out and to soothe us without us having to actually speak up. 
Safety looks like knowing that it's okay to then receive your wants and needs and desires. And once you know them, once you express them, when they show up for you, you're allowed to bring it in. And safety looks like knowing how to get those wants, needs, and desires met in a healthy way. What are the communication strategies that you need to be able to express yourself in a way that builds connection, that builds intimacy? When you know yourself, when you know how to express yourself, when you know how to receive what you want and how to ask for it in a healthy way, then you'll feel safe. And this is your job. When you put that sense of safety and ease outside of yourself, when you seek reassurance in others, you lose the opportunity to actually know who you are and you rob others of the opportunity to know who you are. So how to actually self-soothe. Step number one, refuse to make your emotions someone else's problem. This is radical responsibility. This is radical stepping into our power. The whole idea of, I gave my power away. You can't actually give away your power. You can, however, refuse to use it and hide it from yourself. So step one of bringing back that power is acknowledging that they're your emotions and you refuse to make someone else responsible for them. Step two of self-soothe is know your self-love language. A lot of people talk about love languages. If you're not familiar with this concept, Gary Chapman wrote the book on love languages, and there's five different ways to express love. But do you know how you like to receive it? Do you know how to offer love to yourself? Do you prefer little gifts for yourself? Do you prefer words of affirmation for yourself? You can't soothe yourself if you don't know what soothes your soul. So knowing your own love language is really helpful. And if you want more information on that, check out the book, the, I think it's called The Five Love Languages or just The Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Excellent resource. I'm sure there's lots of articles online as well. Step three of self-soothe is to recognize when you're getting overwhelmed or flooded by your emotions. When you're in that place where you're starting to fly off the handle, when we seek reassurance, we let ourselves fly off the handle and then wait for the other person to calm us down. When we take radical responsibility for our own peace of mind and our own emotional health, then we recognize when we're getting overwhelmed. And then we use our voice to ask for some space. Hey, you know what? I'm really happy that we're having this conversation, but I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I think I need a quick timeout. Is it okay if we come back to this in about 20 minutes? Knowing what you need, knowing how to ask for what you need is key to getting yourself out of that cycle. Another great way to self-soothe is once you've asked for that time and space, ground your energy. Now, those of you in Healing Circle tonight, you get to experience the grounding meditation. The quick cheat sheet version of this is just take a deep breath in, and as you let the breath out, imagine little roots growing out the bottoms of your feet deep into the earth. And every exhale, allow those roots to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you feel more solid in your energy. And there is a very distinct feeling that you will feel in your body, and it's different for everyone. Once you have gotten back into that space, once you've realized and given yourself this time out, then it's a really great idea to name your emotions, simply asking, what emotion am I feeling now? I can't soothe my emotions if I don't know what they are. So giving voice to your emotions is a really great way to start the process of self-soothing. So just asking, what emotion am I feeling now? Anger. What emotion am I feeling now? Hurt emotion I'm feeling now, sadness, and let them all come out. Name all of them. Just keep asking until there's nothing left, until you're like, yeah, I think I got them all. And then once you have gotten to the bottom of that pile of a shitstorm of emotions that caused you to flip out in the first place, 
Then you can ask, what have these come to teach me about me? Remember that your emotions are a biofeedback mechanism between your thinking self and your feeling self, which means your emotions are meant to convey information. We can either go, ah, I don't like this, and hot potato it away and shove it at the other person and then wait for them to reassure us. Or we can say, this is mine. What does it come to teach me? Now, your innermost wisdom and soul will never come to teach you that you suck. So this wisdom that you're going to access is always going to be wise and guiding and loving. If it's not, go back to naming your emotions until you find the wisdom like, I'm okay, I can do this, I'm allowed to do this, everything's okay. So something that clicks into you that starts to bring your emotions down, some wisdom that was hiding in there. And then once you get this, then go back and re-engage with the situation. Now, while this seems like a very long list, once you get used to it, this can be done in a few minutes. And it is your job to know how to soothe your soul. As long as you put this power in the hands of someone else, you'll always feel like the victim. They'll always feel overburdened. So why is this better? Well, obviously, it keeps you in a place of power. It allows you to build trust with yourself and with others. Nothing breaks trust more than giving someone something that doesn't belong to them and that they have no power to fix for you anyways. This is better because it builds intimacy. It builds connection. It allows people to get to know you. It allows you to get to know you and then show up as you with other people. This is better because it allows you to feel seen and heard and understood, which are such core human necessities. And it helps promote strong and healthy relationships all around. So some key concepts to remember. Remember that making someone else responsible for your inner peace keeps you in a powerless position and it will breed contempt and resentment. Remember that learning how to self-soothe is the first step in accessing your own power and taking radical responsibility for your emotional well-being. And remember that knowing yourself and knowing how to communicate your needs effectively is the secret to combating constant reassurance-seeking behavior. It's what allows you to get out of the cycle of anxiety. And as always, I want to remind you to decide you want it more than you're afraid of it. Taking 100% responsibility and learning how to self-soothe in the beginning is like, ah, I'll just give it to other people. <laughs> I don't want to do the work. I want someone else to soothe me. And just decide you want it more than you're afraid of it. And that's the decision that will lead to healthier stronger and more intimate connections with everyone you meet. And of course, if you have any questions about anything from tonight's circle or podcast, please know you can always reach out to me through my website at www.livelifeunbroken.com or through email or through social media. This was like two years ago or year, like several years ago. I'd be like, oh my God, I think I've come. Oh wait, like still work to be done and some healing to be done, but I think I've made some progress. Yay! <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And learning how to take radical responsibility for our own emotions is the key to everything. And most people don't tell us how to do that, what to, that we should do that. And so I love that you are walking this path. And I love that you recognize from the information tonight just how far you have come. It is such a huge part of what we are taught by society is love. Every Hallmark movie, every Disney anything is all about, you know, my job is just to lie down in a tower 
because I don't have a life of my own. I can't exist until you come kiss me and wake me up. And so we are taught to put that outside of ourselves. We are taught that that is what love is, that if you don't need the other person, then it's not real love. If I don't need them, then it's not real. And that sets us up for such a cycle of anxiety, of betrayal, of resentment, of contempt. It's, uh, it's a nasty little path. When we can actually soothe ourselves and we don't need the other person, then a relationship is not about, I need you, but I don't need you. I'm here because I want to be here. I choose to be here because I want to. I don't need you to soothe me. I'll soothe myself and show up whole. I'm not going to soothe you because you need to know that you're allowed to do it yourself. When the way I always like to think about it, if you're walking along, and then someone in front of you falls down on the ground. If you go and you take your arm and you lift them up and you pull them up, what have they learned? That they don't know how to stand up on their own. That they need someone to lift them. Now, we don't want to see someone fall down and be like, well, that's a bummer, and then walk off, because that's not compassionate. What we want to do is we want to offer our arm to them so that they can grab on and you assist them. They pull themselves up with your assistance, with your stability. You're offering your stability. You're not fixing it for them. And then they learn that they know how to stand up on their own. They just need a bit of support. As long as we rescue people, we teach them that they need to be rescued. And when you're in a tower waiting to be rescued, you will feel anything but peace. Because you're at someone else's mercy. And that's the trap of reassurance. Do you want to learn more about how you can continue your journey and experience my virtual healing circles in real time? If so, check out livelifeunbroken.com circle and join my free circle membership. Receive weekly reminders, bonus material and recaps, plus special offers, as well as access to my weekly virtual healing circles. If you're ready to leave behind the fears and limitations of the ego and step into the spiritual life you've long known is waiting for you. You're invited to join me, Jen Fable, for a soul-nourishing journey into the exploration of you, the universe, and all space in between. Take control of your spiritual journey to attain a new level of understanding and connection to yourself and the people in your life. During our time and circle together, I will share with you all the tips and tricks you need to make playing with energy fun, easy, and most of all, effective. Together, we'll learn how to cultivate our inner compass to enable us to walk our path with grace and ease. We'll open the space with a candle meditation, and after I will share with you my favorite grounding practices and lead you through a circle casting, guided meditation, and breath work, followed by a soul-inspiring gratitude practice. If your soul has been calling out to you and you're ready to tune in and listen, go to www.livelifeunbroken.com circle and register today for your Zoom access information. That's www dot l i v e l i f e u n b r o k e n dot com backslash circle c i r c l e. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.